verses 14 through 18 read, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. All of our sermons this month are part of a series exploring the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, exploring how that affects our lives today and what we can learn from it. These fruit from Galatians 5 are things like love, joy, peace, patience, and more. And in this series, we've been exploring each of these attributes, but all while trying to remember that each of them, while being an indispensable part of life with the Holy Spirit, is also incomplete on its own. They're all essential parts of God's work around us and in us. And we can have confidence that the Spirit doesn't give only one or only another, but all nine of them together in everything that the Spirit does. And so with this in mind, we are trying to keep this big picture in front of us while we spend a week each on each of these nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, all with the goal of coming into a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit in our own lives. So far, we've spent one week on love, and we've spent one week on joy. And this week, we are considering the third attribute on the list, which is peace. And so as we consider the meaning of peace, and the calling for peace that the Spirit places on our lives today, the question on my mind is how? How can we experience peace? I want to get practical about peace this morning because I can't think of anything except maybe love that we need to have more right now. And no matter the definition, whether we're talking about inner peace or communal peace or peace from war around the world, we need it badly right now. A definition of peace that I came across when I was uh, reading up for this sermon is, is the idea of peace as a messianic blessing. And the definition goes like this. It says, peace as a messianic blessing is that state brought about by, by the grace and loving mind of God wherein the derangement and distress of life caused by sin are removed. The state wherein the derangement and distress of life are removed. It'd be easy just to say, doesn't that sound like life right now? Uh, deranged and distressed. I don't think that's an inaccurate description of things in the last few years, really, throughout all of history. But just as we think about it more, it, 
it keeps getting more poignant. Deranged means insane. We're talking here about the insanity of sin and about peace as the removal of that. Peace that is sanity, saneness. And in a world of epidemic mental instability, I think sanity is more important than ever. Especially in a world where mental instability so frequently leads to violence. We see in stark relief the interplay between inner peace, peace in our cities and communities, and peace between nations. The problem of peace between nations, when one nation tries to dominate another, creates problems of peace in the communities within the subjugated nation and with individuals uh, in those communities. And then when something breaks in the individual, they lash out and an incident occurs that causes violence in the community, maybe even violence in another country around the world. I know in New York we're not strangers to that kind of violence. In systems thinking, this is known as a vicious cycle, where one part of the system instigates a problem in another part of a system, which introduces a problem in another part, and they continue to encourage and push each other just so that it, it becomes a continually spiraling system of more and more problems. And so today as we're considering peace and how we can experience peace, I wonder if it could be that the gospel provides a way for us to experience peace and in so doing to insert ourselves into these vicious cycles around us and in us to disrupt them and transform them into virtuous cycles, cycles that are mutually encouraging and reinforcing toward healing and peaceful ends. The theologian David Bentley Hart uh, emphasizes the urgency of this question by making the claim not, um, I'll just read the claim. He says, it's only as the offer of peace within time, as a real and available practice, that the Christian evangel, the Christian gospel, has any meaning at all. Only if the form of Christ can be lived out in the community of the church is the confession of the church true. Only if Christ can be practiced is Jesus Lord. If this is true, I want to experience peace, and I'm sure each one of us in this room wants that as well. So the question remains, how can we experience this kind of peace? And the answer that I keep coming to as I consider this is that we can experience peace when we shift our criteria for peace, when we start defining peace differently, when we shift it from something that's within our power to someone who is outside of our power, namely Christ.
Ephesians as a whole, if we look at the book, the epistle, in comparison to some of Paul's other epistles, suggests that peace isn't always apparent in every circumstance. We see this when we look at Ephesians in comparison to other epistles, because in Ephesians, which was one of Paul's last letters, um, a letter that may have even been written by a disciple of his after his death, but regardless, one of his last letters, seems, peace seems to be a more substantial theme in Ephesians than in many of his other earlier letters. It's almost as if Paul has had some sort of change in perspective after decades of ministry and he now knows peace or is more confident in peace, is feeling peace in a clearer way. We see in Ephesians verses like chapter 1 verse 3, which says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul here is talking in the past tense about something that has already happened. It's already been achieved. He has already received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We see also a famous, really concise formulation of salvation in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which read, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Again, here we see Paul talking in the past tense, acknowledging his receipt of salvation that has already been given to him. We also see a verse that uh, made a big impression on me when I was in college. In chapter 3, verse 12, it says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And so this is the tone that Paul is writing in. This tone of peace, of having already received what the gospel has to offer. And we see it perhaps most poignantly in chapter 6, verse 15, describing the armor of God, where Paul describes one essential element of that armor as the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. For Paul, the summation of the gospel here is peace. So there's this victorious kind of unbothered tone that Paul takes as he writes Ephesians. Paul's problems that he's dealt with in depth, we've seen his excruciating pain in other epistles. In Ephesians, those problems seem to be in the rearview mirror. His outlook seems to be broader and lighter and more jubilant. Paul appears to be seeing the results of his lifetime of labor, and he's kind of just taking a victory lap, enjoying it. And so as we consider how we can experience peace, and as we note this kind of change in Paul's own sense of peace over the course of his ministry, this context around Ephesians 2, our key text, highlights this idea that peace isn't always recognizable at the time, at least depending how we define it. While Paul may not have recognized 
or enjoyed it fully, this, this, this passage, this understanding of Ephesians, helps us see perhaps how peace was still present with Paul in the midst of that. It hints at the possibility that peace can be present in the midst of our anxiety. We can have peace even if we don't feel like it. We can be sure of the presence of peace even when we only feel it partly. Even when we want it and we wish we had it and we know something is blocking us from it, we can know that peace is still present. This brings me back to the question and the thesis. How can we experience peace? The thesis is we can experience peace when we shift our criteria from, for peace from something in our power to someone outside of our power, and that is Christ. So let's look at our key passage, Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 18. It develops this theme further. It says, for he himself is our peace. Verse 14 indicates some kind of shift from something to someone. He is our peace. If peace for Paul is a person rather than a situation or a state of mind, it becomes clear how Paul could have always had peace, could have had Christ while continuing to feel anxiety, while continuing to feel stress, while continuing to face persecution and discouragement in his quite difficult career. And so it brings us back ultimately to this question of criteria. Peace isn't always recognizable when our criteria for peace is contingent on things within our control because anything in our control is always at risk. By our very nature, nothing that's in our control is permanently in our control because we are not permanent people. It will be present one day and gone the next. But Christ, different from the things within our control, Christ is someone outside of our control. Christ is secure. He's present no matter what circumstances we're going through. If our criteria for peace consists of things we can control, it will seem to be absent in our low times, even when Christ remains present. But if our criteria for peace is on someone outside of our control, specifically on Christ, it will be apparent. The presence of peace will be apparent even in the worst circumstances that we could find ourselves in. The text goes on, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Verses 15 and 16 here indicate that the shift to someone matters because someone, Christ, 
is the basis for all of the some things. The personal justification that we need internally in our own times of crisis. And the social equalization that we need in times of external conflict. These verses show us clues about how this can be true, how our peace can be the person of Christ. The person of Christ who was a human body and yet divine, who was sinless and yet suffered, who brought the message of peace on earth and goodwill to everyone. Christ reconciles us to ourselves and to each other, internally and externally. The overriding message from Christ's life, death, and resurrection is that Christ became a mediator for us. Despite our inadequacy, Christ always helps to intervene to justify us. And this knowledge helps to reconcile our inner struggle. It preserves our integrity. Even in those times when we do what we don't want to do and when we don't do what we want to do, the presence of Christ reconciles us with ourselves because Christ has already done what we're unable to do. And Christ freely gave that gift to us. Also through Christ, our external hostilities have a groundwork for reconciliation. In this passage, the direct context for the conflict is between Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. Christ on the cross, in this case, is a bridge connecting them across their differences by showing both sides a more expansive truth than the truth apparent from their own experience. And this still holds true today. It holds in conflict between different brands of Christianity, different religions. It holds true in conflict that we might encounter in our own professional career and advancement. It holds true in actual violent conflicts, both here in our city and around the world. In all of these things, Christ remains the presence of peace that indicts us for our prejudice and our hate and our violence, while at the same time presenting a promise and a power for a new humanity, a humanity that's free once and for all from force driven by hatred and fear, a humanity that is moved by love and integrity, and most importantly, a humanity without enemies, where we are on an equal footing as children of a God who loves each and every one of us as family. Having highlighted the terror of our fighting on the cross, having highlighted the horrible results of our fighting, which is always the shedding of innocent blood, Christ makes the way for reconciliation that transcends any human barrier. And so the passage goes on. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. These verses, 17 and 18, indicate that the shift to someone works because this someone is more accessible than anything could ever be. According to this passage, our peace, Christ, is our access to the Spirit, to the fruit of the Spirit, 
to the Godhead. And Christ is accessible because Christ is both human, understanding us and where we come from, and divine, capable of being available to us at all times. It reminds me of Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. It reads, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will, hold, will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Christ as a person with whom we have a relationship is more accessible than any achievement because Christ pursues the relationship and Christ does not fail. So in conclusion, we can experience peace by redefining our criteria for peace. We can experience peace not primarily by changing our circumstances, not primarily by changing our behavior. Our experience of peace does not depend primarily even on achieving some state of mind or emotional wholeness. Rather, we can experience peace by redefining our criteria for peace, by shifting our criteria for peace from any of those things, our circumstances, our behavior, our mental state, to the presence of Christ. The presence of Christ is the presence of peace. And Christ can be present with you in any circumstance, in any behavior, in any mental or emotional state. The powerful thing about this criteria shift is that with it, your peace becomes indestructible. It isn't contingent on you achieving or losing anything. It's a hope, it's a faith, it's a relationship that's available to you in the midst of your journey, in the middle of your progress, whether you're succeeding or failing or stagnating in your own personal growth. It is the most secure and safe criteria available. It's a relationship driven by the one person who never fails. And we may find that the experience of Christ as our peace will start to disrupt these cycles of violence and transform them into cycles of health and healing when we find peace in Christ. Because sometimes all it takes is a little disruption. According to one violence prevention organization called Cure Violence, violence is like an epidemic. The way to treat it is similar to the way we treat a viral disease, which all of us are quite aware with these days, aware of. That's by preventing the spread. When someone has been infected, help the person to heal before they pass it on to someone else. For cure violence, this looks like sending teams of violence disruptors into a community after a violent episode has occurred, connecting them with the victims of the violence and giving the people who have experienced the hurt and pain of the situation healthy outlets for healing before their own pain expresses itself in another violent episode. 
Christ as our peace may not mean our circumstances are always conflict-free. But Christ can be for us a disruptor that prevents the violence from spreading. So as a community here at Advent Hope, we might be in trouble if our criteria for peace remains fixated on our circumstances, our behavior, or our mental state. Because we may never achieve everything that we want to in those areas. In that case, we'll never feel that we truly have peace. And the vicious cycle will keep on spiraling down. But if we can recognize that Christ is with us, even in the least favorable times, we'll have peace even in the midst of trouble. And then when we have conflict internally, we can remember the justifying peace of Christ. When we have conflict in this church community among ourselves or in this city, we can remember the equalizing presence of Christ, our peace. And when we see conflict in the news, things that seem way beyond our own sphere of influence, we'll be reassured and motivated to action by remembering the victorious presence of Christ, our peace. We can experience peace because Christ is our peace. And that peace always, always remains. <laughs>